ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello and welcome to The World Today. It's Tuesday the 6th of February. I'm Sally Sara coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. Today, royal turmoil. King Charles diagnosed with cancer. What does it mean for the royal family? And a big stink in the outback. A Broken Hill High School in limbo after toxic mould is found in classrooms. It's a bit frustrating, especially because it's my daughter's HSE year. I do want her to do really well. I don't want this to interfere with any of that, but I think it's going to be a little bit of an impact. That is certainly a concern. If it's been there a long time, there's going to be a health effect there. As the Reserve Bank prepares to deliver its first interest rates decision of the year, there's been a sharp reality check that rate cuts could be delayed. The Paris-based OECD, which is led by Australia's former Finance Minister Matthias Cormann, says central banks need to be cautious about cutting rates until there's firm evidence that the inflation war has been won. I spoke earlier with the ABC's business correspondent, Peter Ryan. Peter, good afternoon. Will this warning from the OECD do anything to dampen the rate cut speculation? Well, Sally, I think that's the aim because there's so much anticipation around the world at the moment about interest rate cuts after a long period of aggressive rate hikes to tame what had been soaring inflation. But the timing of this cautious reminder from the OECD is, of course, critical. Already, the potential depth of rate cuts in the United States has been scaled back after a lot of initial excitement from financial markets about the outlook for cheaper money. The message from the OECD is it's still too early for rate cuts, meaning rates might stay higher for just a bit longer. Speaking in Paris, Secretary-General Matthias Cormann echoed what central banks themselves have been saying, backed by many economists, that with inflation still very high, it'd be very unwise to declare mission accomplished just yet. Monetary policy needs to remain prudent, that is restrictive for some time to come to ensure that inflationary pressures are contained. These policy rate reductions can continue provided inflation expectations remain anchored. That's Matthias Cormann there, the Secretary-General of the OECD. And Peter, with Australia's Reserve Bank holding its meeting, does the OECD have any advice for RBA Governor Michelle Bullock? Well, at the very least, the OECD's updated world economic outlook is optimistic about Australia that, yes, inflation is heading south from the current 4.1% annual pace to 3.75% by the middle of the year and 2.75% by mid-2025. And that's exactly where the Reserve Bank wants inflation between that 2 and 3% target. Now, I managed to get a question about Australia into the Paris press conference about whether or when the Reserve Bank should cut rates. Chief Economist Claire Lombardelli told me the RBA should be very careful about managing expectations. Look, the position for Australia, similar to to other countries, it's 
difficult to navigate the way through on balancing the impact of monetary policy on growth and on inflation. And so, you know, as other advanced economies, we would advise the Australian economy to look to look at the data as it's emerging uh, before taking judgments about when to start easing monetary policy. That's Claire Lombardelli there, the OECD chief economist. So, Peter, what can we expect with uh, Reserve Bank Governor's Michelle Bullock's uh, press conference this afternoon, which will be after the rates decision? Well, Sally, I think this will be almost anything goes, given it's the first press conference the Reserve Bank has given after a rates decision, but not surprisingly, Michelle Bullock will be under pressure to provide some sort of signal or maybe guidance on when rates might be cut here in Australia, but potentially any question, economic, political or social, might be posed by the 45 or so journalists who will be attending in what will be a live broadcast event. Now, some economists are betting on August for the first rate cut, while others are more sanguine, tipping no action until until next year. But one thing looks almost certain. Rates look like staying on hold at 4.35%, with borrowers becoming more stressed and looking for relief after 13 rate hikes since May 2022. That's uh, Peter Ryan there. Well, today's Reserve Bank decision will affect millions of Australians, many of whom have been feeling the cost of living pinch. Reporter David Taylor has been canvassing how different groups are feeling about these increasing pressures. 36-year-old Sydney cider Jane bought her first home in September and is also expecting her first baby in June. So we'll be knocked back to one income. I mean, because we bought towards the end of, of like September last year, um, we have budgeted because everything was going up. So we thought we need to be careful um, if it continues to go up. Jane and her partner can deal with current interest rate levels, but they worry they'll be under stress if they climb any higher. I get, I think it's three months paid mat leave, um, which is, you know, it's great. It's much better position than other people, I'm sure. But it's also not enough to, like, I have, I can't take a year. Um, I have to come back to work after, I think we're still working it out, but somewhere between six and eight, eight months. Um, and that's not by choice, that's by necessity to pay off the mortgage. Bruce Carr is the principal of Loanscape and a mortgage market analyst. He says most of his relatively new home loan customers are, like Jane, juggling their finances. And, and we're talking that they're now paying interest rates well in excess of the assumptions that were made at the time they took out their loans. I've heard the pain, you know, I've received the phone calls from from clients saying, look, what can we do? Uh, and we're looking at ways to help them uh, ameliorate the, the impact. Data from the banking regulator, APRA, shows Australians have billions of dollars in savings and mortgage buffers, which the Reserve Bank says means they're well-placed to handle interest rates at current levels. But Bruce Carr says household financial stress kicks in when households begin to draw those savings down to help with mortgage repayments which is happening now. Because the mentality is that uh, uh, if you are drawing more out of your offset account than to pay into your loan than, you've, than by, by the amount you're replenishing it from your income, you feel anxious about it. Uh, that's, that's a normal emotional reaction. People, in the main, people like 
to save and to feel that they're in control. On the flip side, National Seniors Australia CEO Chris Grice says many older Australians, especially those in or approaching retirement, would prefer interest rates to stay at current levels or perhaps climb higher. I guess that they are risk adverse. Uh, and, and the thing is that, uh, you know, whether, whether they and again, like I said before, that, that whole certainty piece, um, and many are looking for, I guess, the, the more uh, conservative, especially if, if they are on fixed incomes. They're looking for something that gives them long-term stable security. And renters like Renee Gibbs aren't taking any interest in today's Reserve Bank interest rates decision. The 35-year-old has been forced to move three times in the past 18 months as successive landlords have sold their properties. Honestly, it feels like no one is uh, out there for the little guy. What would help you? Actual penalties for agents that do the wrong thing, like rental bidding. I personally have had at least 10 real estate agents go, oh, well, you could you could just offer what you can afford that might be above the asking price and it might put you in a better stead. Like I've had that said to me so many times. It's ridiculous. Yesterday, the Queensland Premier Stephen Miles said rent bidding will be banned and penalties will be enforced against agents who engage or encourage these practices. And earlier today, the Coalition agreed to support the federal government's overhaul to the Stage 3 income tax cuts, but will seek to make further amendments, including addressing concerns around bracket creep. That's David Taylor there. And the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, has again attacked Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, describing him as a liar for breaking promises to the electorate, but says the Coalition will support the changes. The Coalition is not going to stand in the way of providing support to Australians who are doing it tough. Prime Minister's made this change for his own political survival. We're supporting this change, not to support the Prime Minister's lie, but to support those families who need help now, because Labor has made decisions that have made it much harder for those families. We will take to the next election a significant tax policy, which will reduce taxes for Australian taxpayers because we know that there is going to be a lot of support needed to help Australian families recover from this period of labour. That's the opposition leader, Peter Dutton. You're tuned in to The World Today. World leaders are offering support to King Charles after Buckingham Palace announced that he'd been diagnosed with cancer. Only 16 months into his reign, the King will step back from public duties although he plans to continue with other official business. So what will it mean for the royal family? Angus Randall reports. Hello, good evening. Welcome to BBC... It was the early evening in the UK when the news came in. Breaking news from Buckingham Palace, which has announced that the King has been diagnosed with cancer. King Charles is receiving treatment for an unspecified form of cancer and will be stepping away from public duties. He was recently treated for a benign enlarged prostate, although Buckingham Palace says it is not prostate cancer. In London, locals are sharing their best wishes. I would say to him... Like I said to my mum and my brother, be strong. He's the monarch of our country. He's someone who a lot of people take great comfort in, and I do too. Abdicate, give up the throne, give it to William, you get better. Crack on. Enjoy Camilla. That's what we want. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has wished the King a speedy recovery, and US President Joe Biden is planning to call the monarch soon to offer his support. 
Closer to home, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese hopes Australia's head of state can return to full duties soon. This is difficult news and we hope for King Charles, for His Majesty and for all of their family. The palace has been historically coy about the health of the royal family. Kate, the Princess of Wales, was released from hospital last month after an unspecified abdominal surgery that will keep her away from royal duties until after Easter. It's led to tabloid speculation about her health. Buckingham Palace says the King is sharing his diagnosis to assist public understanding of cancer. Royal biographer Matthew Dennison says it's the right call. I think releasing this information is helpful. I think it's very important. Speculation is, is dangerous. Sometimes speculation can be corrosive. King Charles was due to visit Australia in October as part of a regional tour which included the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Samoa. That may need to be postponed. Erica Betts is the chair of the Monarchists League. Which will be a real pity for all those who were looking forward to that very exciting prospect of having the King of Australia come and be here with us. Working royals who could stand in at events include Queen Camilla, Princes William and Edward and Princess Anne. With Princess Kate on health leave, Prince William is the only working royal under the age of 50. Royal commentator Margaret Holder says there are few options to stand in for the King. It obviously means that a burden then falls on other members of the royal family and you have some rather elderly relatives of Charles. There's the Duke of Gloucester in the late 70s, the Duke of Kent, he's in his early 80s, Princess Alexandra in her mid-80s. These people are very unlikely to be able to fulfil a lot of royal events in the near future. So we are looking at a shrinking royal family. A source close to Prince Harry, who is no longer a working royal, says he plans to visit his father in the next few days. That's Angus Randall reporting there. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to shake up his government as the war against Russia drags on. In an interview with Italian media, Mr Zelensky declared that a reset was needed. It comes after weeks of speculation that he's poised to sack popular top army general Valery Zelushny, a move which could anger Ukrainians and Western allies. Europe correspondent Catherine Dis reports. Soldiers in the thick of the latest Russian onslaught are uneasy about a change at the top. Yes, I think this dismissal would not be appropriate now, because on the field of battle, you do not change commanders. The 31-year-old anti-tank commander, nicknamed Tiger, worries about who might take over. The most popular commanders are those who are here and who fight alongside the lads who sit in the trenches. For weeks, speculation has swirled President Vladimir Zelensky planned to replace his top military general, Valery Zaluzhny. After initially dodging the rumours, President Zelensky confirmed a wider leadership shake-up was needed in an interview with Italian TV. But General Zaluzhny, who's led the war effort since Russia's invasion, is widely popular. A decision to sack him could cause uproar in Ukraine. Ihor is a Ukrainian soldier on the front lines in the country's east. Before you fire someone from their post, especially such an important one, you need to be sure who will replace this person and what their vision is for the future of this situation and what he offers to do in future in order to improve the situation. 
If our government wants to change someone, these changes should only make things better and not worse. Our government should keep that in mind. As news of a possible shake-up in command trickled through the military, President Zelensky made sure he was out with troops touring a military training group in Dnipro. I want to thank you for destroying enemy air targets, destroying the enemy. Thank you for defending our country, defending our families, defending Ukraine. I wish you strong health and only victory, only forward. Glory to Ukraine. As the country approaches its third year of war with Russia, a change at the top could bring Ukraine the reset it needs. But without a key US aid package currently stalled in Congress, former commander of the US Army in Europe, Ben Hodges, says making military gains will be difficult. But we still have the same problem of shortage of artillery ammunition, for example, a shortage of long-range precision weapons that Ukrainians need. We still have gaping holes in the sanctions systems that have got to be closed. President Zelensky's plans for a shake-up come after months of bloody fighting that have taken a toll on the country's mood and dented his popularity. But replacing a popular general carries risk and could fuel concerns his leadership's unstable. That's Europe correspondent Catherine Diss. Consumer advocates are pushing for insurance companies to be included in proposed unfair trading laws. The calls come after revelations that an Indigenous man in outback Western Australia was paying around a third of his income in home insurance. And a warning, this story contains an interview with an Aboriginal person who has since died. Rachel Hayter reports. When Aboriginal pensioner Leonard O'Meara's home insurance bill came up again, he didn't know what to do. I didn't want to argue with him because the house was very important to me, so I paid it. And I had nobody else to help me to sort it out for me to to try and put me on the right track. Leonard's daughter Maureen says the family was very proud of the three-bedroom cottage in Derby in Western Australia's Kimberley region. She was shocked by her dad's rising premium. I had a look at the insurance. I nearly fell over because it was over $9,500, nearly $10,000 just for the house insurance, no contents or anything. Leonard first took out the policy in 2009. It was underwritten by QBE Insurance and co-insured with an ANZ subsidiary until mid-2015 when QBE became the sole insurer. But the price kept going up. The cost was just unaffordable for Leonard. This insurance was costing him $183 a week out of his $450 a week pension. Alan Gray is a financial counsellor with Bush Money Mob. When Maureen asked him for help, he wrote to QBE Insurance asking how they justified the quadrupling of annual premiums since 2016. In the end, they just blamed it on, quote, data and technology, unquote. In other words, they claimed that their computer system had spat out this number and that was how they justified it. Alan says the insurer was ripping Leonard off. Frankly, I am sick to death of insurance companies taking advantage of disadvantaged Aboriginal people in the outback. This is just a loyalty tax that was slapped on a loyal customer. And he's calling for the Australian Securities and Investments Commission to investigate. If they find the evidence, prosecute QBA to the fullest extent of the law because it's only massive fines, Rachel, 
that are going to get these insurance companies to stop charging loyalty taxes. In a statement, ASIC says it will consider any information provided to them regarding the matter. Philippa Eyre is a managing lawyer at the Consumer Action Law Centre. She says while there are no specific laws against big price increases, any proposed new unfair trading laws should include insurance companies. What would be really useful is if an unfair trading prohibition were to apply to insurance because that that would create limits on the ways in which insurers increase um, premiums. An increase due to loyalty is, is clearly an unfair practice. The consumer watchdog, the ACCC, says unfair trading practices currently fall outside the scope of Australian consumer law. The federal government is currently considering expanding consumer laws to address unfair trading practices. In a statement, an ANZ spokesperson says they're focused on providing clear information about their products and services, making sure any advice provided takes into account a customer's financial situation and needs. QBE Insurance says they extend sincere condolences to Mr O'Meara's family and his policy was a full building replacement policy, an important consideration given the remote location and the potential risk of underinsurance. That's Rachel Hayter, and the full statements from ANZ and QBE are on our website. While children across the country are settling back into classrooms, return to school has been upended for more than 600 students and staff in Broken Hill. After mould was found in school buildings in early January, the state's education minister last week revealed there's a possibility that part of the campus could be knocked down. It's left parents, staff and students with plenty of questions. Bill Orman has the story. Silence where there should be the sounds of children playing in a schoolyard. While many schools are returning, students at Broken Hills Williama High face an uncertain future. Tegan Olds has two children enrolled there. The prospect of the school shutting down for the year is a big worry. It's a bit frustrating, especially because it's my daughter's HSE year. I do want her to do really well. I don't want this to interfere with any of that, but I think it's going to be a little bit of an impact. On January 9, the Department of Education say they first received reports of toxic mould. Within the space of a month, it's spread, and hundreds of students and staff in the outback city are being moved across town to other schools. Tegan is preparing her daughter for the worst-case scenario. I've pretty much warned my daughter that she probably will finish out her year at Broken Hill High. Like, I don't think she'll return to Williamma. And, yeah, she's not very happy about that. Last week, New South Wales Education Minister Prue Carr confirmed there's a chance at least part of the school will need to be demolished due to the severity of the mould. The mould situation in Williama is extremely dangerous. When it was first identified earlier in the school holidays, the department I was briefed did not fully understand how dangerous it was until an independent hygienist, an expert hygienist, had a very detailed look at the situation. Since that point, we became aware that it was very unsafe. While the government is shipping in demountable classrooms from across the state, Broken Hill City Councillor Daria Turley says there are other questions on the minds of parents and staff. How long has the mould been there? How extensive it is? What part of the buildings is it in? And then what will be the impact of the 
health of our students and our staff. That is certainly a concern. If it's been there a long time, there's going to be a health effect there. So these are the questions that I think the families want to know about. It's certainly questions that people have reached out to me and asked me if we were aware as councillors. It's something the Department of Education and the Minister's Office haven't yet answered. Why isn't information revealed about where was the mould located? Why isn't there that immediate information? And although the families are very grateful for the Department of Education's information circulated already about what happens to the students now, they really want to know where has it started, what was it about, and is there any indication of why it started? In an effort to reassure the community, Daria Turley would like to see more information released publicly alongside images of the mould. We absolutely thank the Minister Prukar for being immediately interested but the reality is, is circulating that information will help stop a lot of rumours going around our community. The ABC has requested photos and videos of the mould from the Department of Education several times, requests which have been denied. Meanwhile, the Minister's office says there aren't any images of the mould, as the hygienist is still conducting their report. For Tegan Olds, it's the simple questions like what impact this will have on her daughter's HSC. They've already been affected by COVID like homeschooling, so is this going to push it back even further? And if there's a possibility the mould existed in the school before it was found in early January. How long has it been there for? Like, is it a safety concern for all the kids that have previously been there? That's parent Tegan Olds ending that report from Bill Orman in Broken Hill. And that's all from the World Today team. Thanks for your company. I'm Sally Sara. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. When the Reserve Bank board members meet for the first time this year, they might be patting each other on the back. Inflation has come right down to a two-year low, meaning they won't need to raise interest rates again. Today, ABC TV's finance expert, Alan Kohler, on what needs to happen now for rates to start falling. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listen app.